This is Creeps Anonymous. Hey, it's Gabby here. We do talk about suicide in this episode, which I know can be distressing. If you need resources or support, please go to 988lifeline.org or text 988 on your cell phone. And please take care of yourself. Olivia woke with a crick in her neck and a poking in her back. She grimaced, pulling a tired hand over her face to shake the sleep off. Her whole mouth felt like it had grown moss overnight. Smacking her lips, she tried to get her bearings of the room around her. Her eyes landed on a familiar saltwater fish tank with a little deep diver statue pondering on a rock. The no-effects posters that littered the room at an off-kilter told her exactly where she was. She held back a groan, angry at herself again. Another blacked-out night and a morning waking up at Dimas. The shame of ending back up on his threadbare futon started to crawl up her toes, but before she could beat herself up anymore, she felt an arm circle her waist. Good morning, Dima rumbled sleepily into her neck. The thing pressing into the small of her back was definitely what she thought it was. Olivia prepped the muscles in her body for evasive maneuvers, slipping from between his arms as he went to pull her in. She got out of the bed and went to grab her phone to check the time. Nine. Only 30 minutes to get dressed and get to her shift at Key Food. Son of a... She moved the wild hair out of her face, furious at her alarm for not going off. Furious at Dima for being himself. Furious at herself for falling for it again. Going somewhere, he yawned, scratching at his buzzed blonde head. It was sleep matted, which made him look like a huge, confused bear woken up too soon during hibernation. I gotta be at work. Ma's the car, she said, rooting around his messy room to find her pants and shoes. Stick around, I'll give you a ride to work, he said. She could feel him angling again, and that was starting to get on her nerves. I can't, sorry. I'm hurt, he said, grabbing his bare chest. You just come here to sleep now? Olivia paused in her searching, realizing with relief that she must not have slept with Dima after all. It didn't make her feel any better, sneaking out of the basement past his parents, but at least some shreds of dignity could be kept, she guessed. Is that what happened? She joked, pulling on her socks in a hurry. Okay, chill. I'm not that forgettable, he said, swinging his feet over the bed. You came over, we had a few beers, you passed out watching a movie again. To her surprise, he didn't sound so much annoyed as concerned. Somehow that seemed to grate on her nerves more. I've been working a lot of overtime, she said vaguely. I haven't really been sleeping well. Everything okay? he asked. You can talk to me about stuff if you want. Olivia found it hard to hold in a scoffing breath, shimming into her jeans. She wondered if it was proper grounds to fight a person who claimed they wanted to help you, but then disappeared every time the need for accountability arose. It was always grand, charming displays and then months of silence once he got bored. She looked at him sitting there sleepily, regarding her with what looked like pity on his face, and she thought she hated him. No, I'm good, she said. You actually good, though? Why are you doing so much overtime? Dima got up, striding over to her. Do you need money or something? There's a pandemic happening outside. Of course I need money, she said, waving towards his bedroom door. The closer he got to her, the more repelled she began to feel. I'm, I'm good, though. Okay, he said, stopping halfway across the room, holding up his hands. If you insist. I'm fine, she said, lacing up her shoes, hoping they'd take her away from this conversation as fast as humanly possible. I just want to make sure you are. I know it's hard to bring up, but you haven't really talked to anyone about Max. I don't need to talk to anyone about Max, she said, feeling her anxiety reaching a fevered pitch behind her ears. Alarm bells began to go off in her head. Dima looked at her and paused, looking confused and hurt, which took her by surprise. 
Zemo was never any of those things, rushing around to try to be seven steps ahead of everyone else. He shook his head, and she felt her stomach drop. Liv, we've got history. You can talk to me. Don't. She grated out, standing. She felt her body square up and tense. He was your best friend, and no one would think differently of you if you just let yourself feel sad about it. He reached out to try to put a hand on her shoulder. Olivia shoved him away, surprising herself with the amount of force behind it. She immediately regretted it, but couldn't find an off switch to the anger rising in her throat. You don't know the first goddamn thing about being a friend, so I don't need any greeting card lectures from a fucking phantom. Liv, we're all going through it right now. That's basically all we have. What you have? I don't want it, she spat out venomously, terrified that she would burst into tears in front of him. She desperately didn't want him to see her cry. I was there, Liv. I was the one who fucking found him. What do you want me to do? You don't let anyone into that pain. Because it's my pain, she said, thumping a hand on her chest. Well, it's not just yours, so stop making this about you, he said suddenly. We're all fucking mourning, man. Olivia gave him a stunned look, searching his face for anything, trying to make all of this make sense. You, you don't get it at all, she said, moving towards the door. There wasn't a person in the world who knew how disconnected she felt from everyone. I'm trying, Liv. I'm hurt, too. None of this is going to be perfect. He opened up his hands pleadingly at her. She had no idea how to describe to him that she missed herself too. How she hurt so much that it felt like she was fragile to the touch, and if someone prodded just a bit too hard, she would explode into a million tiny pieces. There was no good way to describe that she felt like some weird version of Rip Van Winkle, where one day she went to sleep, and when she woke up, suddenly nothing was recognizable anymore. How are you supposed to squeeze yourself into a place that no longer fit you, especially when the feeling of wearing your own body started to feel different? I gotta go, Olivia said, doing her best to keep her voice stony. This was the end of the conversation, and she wasn't going to be delving into Max's death with anyone today. Not today, not ever. Take care of yourself, kid, he said, managing to sound both genuine and irritating all at once. I'm sorry for shoving you, she said, pausing quietly by the door. Not the worst way you've broken my heart, princess, he looked at her softly. No hard feelings. Olivia felt something uncomfortable and cold settle into her guts as she made her way to the bus stop, but it was different from the November air nipping at her ungloved hands. She blew hot breath onto her chapped hands and rubbed them together. Dima always talked big, but left her high and dry whenever she actually needed him to step up. Having him open up to her about his brother wasn't something she ever expected him to do, and it wasn't something she felt like she handled well. Shoving down the pit in her throat, she climbed into the bus and sullenly tossed herself into a seat. The din of people on the phone, shouting over one another, and the rocking of the bus lulled her into a fitful sense of calm. They kept telling her during her stay in Seaview that it would get easier with time, but she was so deep into it that she couldn't even picture what that would look like, even at this point. Later that day, Olivia holed up in bed at the motel, aimlessly flicking through the cable channels. Her mother came home sometime afterwards, slinging her purse onto the chair and taking off her shoes. Good to have you back, her mother said, giving her two-day-old clothes and newly acquired, oversized hoodie, a pointed look. Thanks, I just got back from Jess's. She let me stay the night, Olivia said, not looking up from the glow of the TV screen. Mmm, that's great, her mother said, with a clearly passive-aggressive through-line through her words. Okay, what, Olivia said, putting the remote down. She had had it with everyone talking around her today. 
I'm just a little doubtful that you were where you said you were last night, Diana said, her lips pursed into a thin gray line. Okay, Ma, well, what if I'm shy and I don't want to come out of the closet yet? Olivia asked, looking dreamily into the distance as she pictured a romance with some charming book-loving girl in a cafe, never having to deal with waking up being figuratively stabbed in the back each day. Come on, I wasn't born yesterday. You reek of cigarettes and cologne. You think I'm dumb or just blind? I'm curious. What difference does it make, Ma? Honestly, she sighed, feeling tired. Because a girlfriend can't get you pregnant, and whoever you're seeing definitely can. Her mother attacked the day-old laundry for something to do with her hands, violently beginning to fold a pair of jeans. Olivia decided to ignore her mother's wholesomely accepting comment for a moment in favor of feeling angry at her other assumption, that she was stupid enough to let a guy get her pregnant in the first place. Well, you don't have to worry about that, Olivia said, the sarcasm dripping from her voice as she pictured Dima being the father to anyone's children. She couldn't picture a more terrifying scenario. I'm not planning on bringing any more assholes into this world. I'm probably enough. Oh, Jesus, Olivia. Her mother gave her an exhausted look. Would it kill you to take your life seriously for once? Yeah, that's kind of the thing, she said, turning back to click through the TV. I tried once, and it nearly did. Late that evening, Olivia took a walk around the motel and the neighborhood. With her hood pulled up against the cold, she walked with a reddened nose down the streets of Rosebank, enjoying the quiet hum of the empty street and the one lone halal truck. She used the blinking LED lights of the halal sign to make her way down the block, hands in her pockets. Her mind wandered back to the nights she'd drive down to Rosebank Tavern with Jess to see Deep End play. Max would always hold up a spot at the front row, and even in the wintertime, you'd die of heat stroke before the show was through, the way people packed into the small dive bar. The smell of firewood and the cold air tonight made her think back to their show a few years ago, before Max had been deployed. It had been a night that felt just like this one, except it lived in a hallowed place in her memories. Deep End was wrapping up their annual Punksgiving show when Dima pulled his t-shirt out of his pocket and used it to dab his sweaty forehead. Venue lights were always set to the temperature of the sun, so it was hard not to sweat your soul out of your pores while performing. Okay, so, he reached for the mic. That's the end of our show, ladies and gentlemen. Max gave Olivia the look over his shoulder, and she started to laugh. Without words, she gave him an affirmative nod, and they both reached over the metal barrier and smacked it noisily. Encore! Encore! Max shouted, clapping. Give me that encore, D-Bend! Olivia shouted through cupped hands. Dima scanned through the crowd to the glare of lights. He spotted the two teens in the crowd up at the front, where they always were. Dima gave Olivia a slow sort of smile that ended in a chaotic curl. From down below, she felt like a sudden riptide was trying to carry her stomach away. All right, all right, we can do an encore, Dima said, fixing the strap of his bass theatrically. Max and Olivia began to clap wildly in the front row. Lurch began to softly tap on his hi-hat, and Vin began to finger-pick on his guitar in the dark corner of the room. Dima chugged the last remnants of his water bottle and chucked it behind him, stepping up to the mic. Okay, so for this one, we're going to need your help. This one is going to be a group effort, so if you know the song, he began to idly check the tuning of his bass. Matter of fact, I think I might ask for some very important people to come to the front. Olivia began to whoop, giving Max a thumbs up as he vaulted forward over the fence. Dima pulled his brother towards him, and as he did, one more figure came into view. To anyone who had ever stayed for a deep end encore, they may have missed a tiny Slavic couple sitting in the corner of the venue. Occasionally, the older couple would come in with a giant cracked leather suitcase and a gift bag from a liquor store. No one would have paid them much mind because they were normally the first ones there and the last ones to leave. Unless you stayed for the occasional encore. 
Dima and Max's father came into view in the performance space, pulling along his giant leather suitcase. He was a balding, bent man with a barrel chest and long arms. Maybe at one point in time, he was as tall as his boys were. They all gave each other a nod, and Olivia appreciated how much the family all resembled one another in their mirthful blue, crinkled eyes. Their dad pulled up a small stool, cracked open the suitcase, and pulled out, to everyone's surprise, an old accordion. After, he rested it on his knee and looked peacefully out into the crowd. Olivia enjoyed how off-put some folks were, and she heard murmurs pass through the room. She always thought the surprise kind of made it better. You ready to help me out? Dima asked the crowd. Jess shouted her support loudly from the back of the bar, perpetually stuck behind people in a line to pay out her tab. Olivia looked back to search for Jess's face in the moving crowd and waved back when she saw her. Jess was already three beers deep, and her smile came back wobbly and pleased. She was going to sleep well tonight. Max swung his ropey arm around his brother, and they danced a jig together around the space. Dima was a sweaty mess, lost in frenetic energy of their last song. Max tossing his own hoodie into the crowd. Dima pointed over to his brother and began to play a dirge on his bass. His father and the band follow suit, sounding like a klezmer band wrapping up the drunk remnants of a funeral. As they began to play, the brothers exchanged a brief, unruly smile from across opposite ends of the space, and Olivia always remembered that was what pure electric joy looked like. Dima began to play a bit faster as he took up his side of the mic and started to croon in Russian. Olivia felt the crowd swell around her, and he knew Dima was riding that crest of a performance high. He waved his hands at the crowd and encouraged them to pipe up by putting a hand innocently to his ear, as if he couldn't hear them. They all began to shout back at him. At the end of the song, Dima and Max's mother passed a sequin bag to the front of the crowd with a bottle of Stoli. The band and Dima's father quaffed down shots after the set, showering the crowd with the rest of the bottle. Olivia came home that night, reeking of rubbing alcohol, breathless from laughter. It was one of the last good memories she had with Max, she realized then. Once school was over and college began, Max was already thousands of miles away, saving the world or something like that. By the time he came back, he changed. It wasn't the same forward-thinking, carpe-fucking-diem Max she'd always known. It was a bleaker, more cynical version that she wanted to accept wholeheartedly, because he was her best friend. But she found the shift making her more and more worried. One day, he stopped answering her texts and calls, and he never came back. Ultimately, the people closest to Max during those days hadn't taken the signs seriously when he got back home. And she wasn't there to make sure he was good, because she'd allowed time and distance to get in the way. And when he didn't get back to her, she'd assumed that they'd grown apart like best friends sometimes do. But she'd expected to outgrow needing her friend, not outliving him. There was no grand story or dramatic explanation to tell people. She hated when people made her dig down into that feeling. What was there to dig up? She had a best friend who flew halfway across the world to try to make it a better place, and whatever happened there along the way crushed his spirit. Or maybe it was coming back home that did. She didn't know. She hadn't been there when she was supposed to be, and that's what she did know. That was something she needed to live with now, since her attempt to not live with Max's absence hadn't worked. An oppressive, tired feeling settled into her head and shoulders as she looked down at the deep-end hoodie she was wearing. She noticed her vision go blurry first before she could feel the tears on her face, hugged herself, forging ahead in the cold. As silently as she could, she began to cry for the first time since being let out of the hospital. She felt the waves rock her shoulders and felt the pull of a different sort of riptide, one that made her feel small, 
overwhelmed and drowning. She stood across the street and looked at the Rosebank Tavern, face wet and swollen, feeling for the first time in years like she needed another cigarette. 